You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The story is the same, whether it's on a street corner with a hustle or whether it's on the global stage with counterintelligence and uh, uh, deception, it's the same story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Perry Carpenter joins us. He's speaking with Brian Brushwood, the host of The World's Greatest Con. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories uh, this week, uh, a quick aside uh, from okay. me. I was, uh, I, was, I was logging into a website that I have not logged into in a long time. Just something, you know, in my life, it's a little nonprofit website that I have a, an account on. And I went to log in and uh, I, I, I had the uh, password saved in my password manager, did not, and it didn't work. So I said, all right, well, reset my password. Right. So they send me a link, go in to reset my password. I have my password manager auto-generate a new password. Mm-hmm. All life is good. Paste it in there. Put the new password in. The system accepts it. Uh, I go to log in. Won't let me in. Mm. Like, crap. <laughs> right? Sounds like somebody changed some code, Dave. <laughs> well, so uh, I do this uh, again. Maybe, you know, just maybe something happened. Who knows, right? Go through it again. Same thing happens. My password manager generates a password. Can't, you know, it doesn't work. All right, reset it again. I, now, I will say also in the background, the clock is ticking because they're right. reminding me, you only have so many times to do this and we will lock you out forever, <laughs> right? right? Um, so uh, I decide, all right, I'm just going to manually generate a password uh, because this site also has one of those handy things, and by handy I mean annoying right. things, where it keeps track of how many uh, capital letters you've used and how many special characters, and is your password long enough, and all these sorts of things. So I start putting in a password, just a manual password, and what I realize is, at a certain point, uh, it cuts me off. It it limits the length of the password I'm allowed to put in. Yes, I've seen I'm, this before. As I'm typing in. And this length is fewer characters than my password manager was set to generate yes. the password. And can I ask, how many characters does your password manager generate by default? More than 20, less than 30. More than 20, less than 30. Okay. <laughs> right, right. I use pretty much 20. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's, a, but I will set the individual policy for sites I care about. Like any of my banking, they immediately mm-hmm. go up to like 64 or something. Okay, like that. right. So. So what do you think's going on here, Joe? I bet you can guess. I, I know exactly what's going on here, Dave. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Here's what's happening. Yeah. The code on the page where you set your password right. limits the size of your password. Yep. It truncates whatever you enter. Right. Right. But the code on the page where you enter your password and log in does not do that properly. Doesn't do it the same way. Mm. If it did do it the same way, it would work. But there's an inconsistency in the way the uh, the password is being handled prior to being passed to the hashing algorithm. 
Yes. Uh, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, as I'm the, saying that, I'm like, the, I don't know. Maybe the, these guys are storing your password the, in plain text. Who the knows? The aspirational hashing algorithm. <laughs> right. 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 So <laughs> it's an interesting thing that, that they're doing there. First off, they have uh, they have something that they should not be doing. Uh-huh. Right. Under no circumstances should you be limiting in a password field what a user can enter. Yeah. Uh, it should be the case that even if the user enters a you know, a SQL injection string, that that never gets passed to the database. What that gets passed to immediately after being submitted is a hashing algorithm that comes out as a known length string. Yeah. Right? And I'm getting really into depth in depth here in the weeds <laughs> for a lot of our listeners. But the hashing algorithm puts it, produces an output that's always exactly the same length. Okay. It doesn't matter if you put in one byte or you put in the entire contents of your hard drive, the hashing <laughs> algorithm will always be the exact same length. Okay. So, so that solves that problem. That solves that problem. Yeah. So, But what's happening is if I if I give that hashing algorithm even slightly different input, it will produce vastly different output that won't match. Yeah. Right? And that's what's happening. Yeah. Or, or even if I'm just storing passwords in plain text and then I'm producing different input on the login page than I am on the password setting resetting page, then I won't store the users what the user thinks is their proper password. Yeah. So this was frustrating right. and aggravating. And so now I'm, so, I, you know, I figured it out. I got it working. Right. I got into the site. Yep. But now I'm faced with the dilemma of, do I let them know? Oh, I let them know. <laughs> you want me to write the letter, Dave? <laughs> yes, maybe I should. That's true. I mean, you're kind of a pro at this, right? Yes. I mean, responsible disclosure is, is kind of one of your things. Yeah, absolutely. You get paid to do it. So I, I suspect you have a, a nice collection of <laughs> boilerplate letters on, on the ready. Yeah. And uh, and then I have uh, backup from people I can uh, people I can talk to for the media, if you'd like. I mean, if you, I know this is a nonprofit, but I've I've uh, found like there was one one banking site I was using that wouldn't let me copy and paste a password, which is how password managers usually work. Yeah. Right. So I called them up and said, "You're not letting me copy and paste passwords into a web page." Mm-hmm. Uh, first off. Attackers don't do that. That's not that's not their that's not the threat model. Okay? Right. They write scripts that that just inject passwords in and try them on mass. Yeah. All you're doing by not allowing a copy paste is is irritating your user base. Right. Right? <laughs> right. You're stopping people from using a password manager, which is bad. Yeah. The company said, "Oh, we don't care. We're just not doing that." And I said, "Okay. That's fine." So I called the register. And uh <laughs> and I said, "Hey, you guys want to do a story? I got a story." And they said, "Yeah." And it it went out on the register. I don't know if they still do it, I, you know, but I, I haven't had that problem in a while. Right? So don't maybe mess they, with Joe. Yeah, I got important people at important websites that I can. I'm just. Yeah. I'll talk about you on I don't this think, show. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it'll come to that. But perhaps we should reach out and just let them know they can stop. Uh, they can preempt a little bit of the frustration because if certainly if it happened to me, it must be happening to other people. Correct. And you know, you think it would also cut down on their tech support. Uh, responses. Yeah. It's a bug in their software. It's a bug in their website, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, so a little side story for me. Why don't we jump into our actual stories this week, Joe? Why don't you kick things off for us here? Dave, my story comes from TechCrunch. And uh, there's a company out there called Block. You know what they used to be called? Mm. Square. (laughs) Why? Yeah. Why did Jack Dorsey, this is Jack Dorsey, one of Jack Dorsey's companies, right? Okay. Uh, I think it is. Anyway, uh, 
So he wanted he wanted to enter the third dimension, right? By going from square <laughs> to block. I, I don't know why, because as soon as okay. I read this, got himself a pair of three D glasses, and the world looked like a very different place. Right, cubism. Dave. <laughs> He's going into cubism. Yeah. So uh, the as soon as I read this, I'm thinking, wait, did H and R Block buy Cash App? No, H and R Block is a completely different company than Block. Okay, right. So. Again, we have overloaded names, and it yeah. just frustrates me. As an old man, I get mad at these things. Right. Uh, but anyway, they recently confirmed a data breach uh, involving a former employee who downloaded reports from Cash App that contained U.S. customer information. Hmm. Now, these reports were accessed by the insider. They're calling this an insider on December 10th. Now, I don't know, Dave, do you consider a former employee to be an insider? Uh, yes. Do you? Yes, yes. because um, a former employer is an insider. I would consider a former employer to certainly be, or employee to certainly be an insider threat. Uh, but that is a common, I think, misnomer with insider threats is that um, people, first of all, think that insider threats mean that that's only people who are up to no good. Right. That's an insider agreed. threat can be someone who is innocently making errors that yes. uh, cause trouble. The target of but, every social engineering attack becomes a an insider threat. Yeah. So right? I, I would I would consider like. someone certainly a recently departed employee. I would still put them in the category of insider threat. Yeah. I'm not so sure I would. Yeah. Um, but suffice to say they do here mm-hmm. in this uh in this press re- or in this uh, report to the SEC that they had to make. Uh anyway, the the reports these reports were accessed by this insider on December 10th. And here's a quote from the uh, from the from the filing they did with the Security Exchange Commission. While this employee had regular access to these reports as part of their past job responsibilities, in this instance, the reports were accessed without permission after their employment ended. Mm. Right mm. Uh, now, TechCrunch reached out to Block and asked questions, but Block refused to answer questions about why a former employee still had access to this data Mm -hmm. and how long they retained access after the employment had been ended. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here's some of the information that was included in this breach. Users' full names, Hmm. brokerage account numbers, uh, and for some customers, it also included brokerage account portfolio value, Hmm. uh, portfolio holdings, and stock trading activity from one day. Wow. Right? Now, Block didn't say how many customers were impacted, but they did say they were contacting 8.2 current and former customers. Wow. 8.2 million. Sorry, not yeah. 8.2. <laughs> how do you contact 8.2? So so I'm going to guess that about 8.2 million people were affected. Potentially, yeah. Yes. Wow. Um, Block says that no other PII, personal identifiable information, beyond names were accessed. So they don't have your username. They don't have your passwords. They don't have your social security numbers. Uh, or this former employee, rather, doesn't have any payment card information or your address. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the filing notes that Cash App in, uh, products and features for customers outside of the U.S. were not affected, right? Mm. Only U.S. customers. Now, why did I choose this story to talk about? Because this really isn't a social engineering story. Mm. It kind of, it, you know, it's just another data breach. You know, Dave, our, our saying in this industry should be another day, another data breach. <laughs> right. Count on it. Right. I chose this story because a listener named Joshua wrote in, and he was affected by it. Mm-hmm. He got uh, the email on a- on April 4th. Now, here, funny, last week I said over there, there's my phone that has Cash App on it. Right. I didn't get an email. Okay. But I went back and looked looked through my emails and found the confirmation email for setting up my account October 21st, Dave. Okay. So I missed a 
dodged a bullet here by 11 days. Oh, oh wow. All right. <laughs> this this employee, this former employee, accessed these reports on the 10th of December. Okay. And uh, I I was I was a new customer on the 21st. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. That's right. Yeah. And I, my life is a lot of that. Uh, Joshua had a few questions. First off, Joshua said he went in out of an abundance of caution and changed his password. Uh, he's not concerned because he doesn't use the brokerage services, uh, or he had, but he doesn't use much of them, uh, use them much anymore and doesn't keep very much cash in there. So he's not too worried about it. Uh, but his first question is what did cash app do wrong in this instance? Mm, okay. Now here, here's, I have some ideas. I, I have <laughs> one big idea. Yeah, go they on. allowed a former employee to maintain access to a financial services company. Right. Terrible operational security here. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, what protocols, here's another question, what protocols should be in place to prevent these situations from happening? Mm-hmm. Every financial, every company, not just financial institutions, but especially financial institutions, every company should have a policy in place for a daily termination process for network access, right? HR should be notifying whatever IT organization it is that is within a unit or however you however you structure it, one of the of the out processing steps has to be deactivate their accounts. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. that's that's the end of the story here, uh, and and nowhere is that more important than in financial institutions, uh, right. possibly in in organizations where other data like security related data, national security related data is is kept. Mm-hmm. Those things have to be have to be done. When somebody submits their notice, you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to trust them for the next two weeks mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or not. Uh, if somebody is is going to be fired, I recommend that their account be, you know, they you know they're going to be fired before they do. Right. Lock that lock them out before you give them the notice. Right. Okay. As you're walking into the conference room to give them the bad news, right. the accounts should simultaneously be dis- deactivated. Exactly. Yeah. That should be the case. Yeah. Um, and finally, this is this is a good question. Joshua asks, what can someone do with the investing reports without any type of login credentials? Mm. Because it seems to me like Block is really downplaying the impact of this uh of the of this breach. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the information that they did get. Yeah. That this former employee did get. They did get full usernames. Right. So if if your name is Dave Bittner and you're a Cash App user who did investing with them, they have your full name. Right. Right. Uh, they also got your account number. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they got your account balances yep. for some of these for some of these users. Yep. All right. That is a significant amount of information. Sure. Okay. So here's what any bad actors would do with that information. They would immediately take the full names and look them up against their database, which they have of full names of people, and find an email address. Mm. Then they would send a spear phishing email crafted for Dave Bittner, and they'll say things like, hey, Dave, this is Cash App. We want to talk to you about your account number this, mm-hmm. right? Because account number is one of the things they've got. Yep. And they already know how to prioritize it because they have the balance. So they're going to do a sort from largest to smallest on, based on balance, and they're going to target the biggest accounts first. Right. That's how they're going to use this information, or that's how this information could be used if it ends up in the wrong hands. Yeah, the other thing I could imagine is is they could go after the brokers themselves and, and try to reset a 
you know, account password or something and say, hey, uh, you know, hey, it's Dave Bittner. Uh, listen, I'm having trouble getting in my account. Here's my account number. Can you help me out? You know, last time I checked, I had this amount of money in there. Right. Uh, oh, and, that's you know, an I've been, point, I've been uh, you know, I've, I've been real, I've been trading all of that, uh, I don't know, all that Apple stock lately. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, but for all of a sudden I can't get in. So the person on the other line is going, well, this obviously this has to be this person yeah. because they have all this information about their account. You know, I'll Dave, just do them a favor and reset the account for them. You know, Dave, when I called, um, uh, recently I called a, one of my, Firms that manages some of my money. Yeah, and that big old podcast money. That a big pile of podcast money, right? right? <laughs> it's actually a retirement account. But <laughs> I called them up, and they said one of their questions was, "Can you give me a recent balance on your account?" Yeah, and there they you were go. only looking for an approximation. Yeah, right. They weren't looking for an exact value. There you go. So yeah. this will help in that knowledge based authentication as well. That is yeah. an excellent point. Yeah. So Joshua, thanks for bringing this to my attention. Uh, you know, I think I think Block really really dropped the ball here. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this winds up being something of a class action lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, Another reminder to have multi-factor authentication on your financial accounts. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Put multi-factor authentication on your financial accounts, uh, on all of them. Yeah. Uh, and the most secure kind you can use. Um, watch out. Be if, if you are a Cash App customer who uses their brokerage service, be particularly vigilant for uh, looking out for spear phishing emails because they might be coming. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what this ex-employee is doing uh, with this data. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some law enforcement questions for this person. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but who right. knows? Maybe this ex-employee isn't the person who did it. it yeah. They could be somebody who just at some point in time fell victim to a um, to a, uh, a phishing attack. And that person, I don't know how, I, I'm speculating wildly here. Yeah. Um, you know, Twitter has their their two-factor authentication with a YubiKey now, mm -hmm. and they let the people keep it. Uh, and and since this is a company that's also started by Jack Dorsey, perhaps they have uh, implemented similar security protocols, in which case it would only be the uh, the employer, or employee rather, who had access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Uh, my story this week comes from uh, folks over at NPR. Uh, this is uh, from Shannon Bond. Uh, this was a story that they had over on Morning Edition. Um, and this is about uh, – actually, Joe, this is something you and I uh, dealt with uh, probably about a month ago. Um, it's about LinkedIn profiles that are inauthentic. Yes. And uh, there's a trend here where – uh, let's say that I am a company who is hiring a third-party marketing company to help generate leads for me. And some of these companies are going out and they're using uh, some of the artificial intelligence services to generate fake images of people. And they're creating fake LinkedIn profiles. But they're saying that these LinkedIn profiles work for the company that hired the marketing company. So let's say I'm the, the Acme Widgets company, right? Right. This uh, LinkedIn profile will be created and it'll say, hey, this is uh, Bob Jones from the Acme Widgets company. would love to tell you about our products, right? And, and typically it's not, it's not that straightforward. First thing they do is they, they try to establish some rapport. They reach out and, and they do a, a, a friend request, you know, that sort of thing. And they may spend some time commenting on your posts before they – pounce with the with the ask right really <laughs> right hmm. so uh in this case uh the artificially generated 
uh, image was claiming to be someone named Keenan Ramsey, mm-hmm. um, and that person did not exist uh, at all. It was spun up out of whole cloth uh, from a marketing company. And, and this article goes into some of the marketing companies who do this, uh, some of the other ways that you can kind of, you know, suss out that this isn't a real person. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll pivot a little bit here and say, you know, Joe, this happened to us, right? With, with this show. Yeah. You want to share the story of uh, the request we got? Yeah, I got a, uh, a this was recent, I, and we talked about it. I got a, a connection request on LinkedIn from a, a, a person, uh, and it was, it was a picture of, of an African-American woman. Yep. Very beautiful. And I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, who is this person? I, I have no idea who this is. I got it, too. Oh, you got it too. Yeah. And it was, I, I, the first thing I do when I get these things and they don't add up, the, the first off, the LinkedIn profile was kind of sparse, mm-hmm. right? Which was mm-hmm. kind of the big red flag for me. The picture looked like it could be a LinkedIn picture, right? But I, I took that picture and did a reverse image search on it with Google and found the actual picture. And the actual picture is a picture of a model wearing a dress. Oh. And she is, uh, it's just a, a picture for selling the dress. Uh-huh. So somebody said, I'm going to take this attractive woman, this model. Right. I'm going to crop out the the dress part and just put her face in a LinkedIn profile. And then I'm going to try to get uh, Dave and Joe to accept the, fr- uh, the connection request. <laughs> right. I'm going to social engineer these, these social engineering experts, as yeah. it were. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I reported the account as fraudulent, and uh, I don't. I don't know that it's it's gone yet. I I haven't checked on it recently, but I'll I'll bet it's still there. Yeah. If it's not there, then one using the same picture is probably still there. Yeah, yeah. So um, these uh, images are uh, used with a generative adversarial network. A GAN. They a call GAN it. is right. what they they uh, they call it. So the other part of this story that I thought was interesting and that uh, our listeners would be interested in is that someone has created a Chrome extension that is called Fake Profile Detector. Really? And it goes and it can detect GAN-generated images. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, you put in this uh, plug-in into your, you know, your Chromium-based browser, mm-hmm. and when you go to a, a profile, you can... Uh, there's a little pull-down menu, and you can say "check fake profile picture," and it will check the profile picture, and it will give you a percentage of how much it thinks that it's authentic or not. Right, whether or not that image came from a GAN. Right. So, if you install this uh, plugin into your browser, again, you can just you know check and and you know I I can't vouch for the accuracy of this browser plugin. I just think it's interesting that we're in the place where this exists, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and I think, hey, you know, a useful tool. It, it, it sort of double check if you have a funny feeling about this and you run it through and it says, hey, 99% chance this is a, 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 a artificially intelligence generated image. Well, yep. you probably know what to do next. So I'm, I'm looking at this. They have this animated picture on the, uh, on the article you're talking about. Yeah. And every picture of every person has a cross through it, like a, a little white line going up and a little white line going to the side. Mm-hmm. And they're all the same. All the lines are at the same height, and same, and they have like a, a like a six by three matrix here right. of these things. And they're showing you all these different pictures as they scroll through. And what's weird about it 
is all the eyes are in exactly the same place. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And this article has a, a little guide for figuring out or, you know, telltale signs that these might be generated images. And one of them is centered eyes, that the yep. eyes are precisely centered. Yep. They say uh, a vague background. Uh, in this particular image, uh, the woman only had one earring. Ah. Right? So if you had a professional headshot, chances are you wouldn't just have one right. earring. Right. And sometimes, you know, hair blurs into the background, things like that. But that can yeah. happen with other, you know, because we have, you know, we have AI in our phones now that are that are automatically generating idealized photos when we take photos. So right. it's hard to know for sure. But, uh, you know, this this helps. So I, I thought it's an interesting story. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, also, uh, doubly interesting was the fact that someone has created a browser plugin yep. to help detect these things. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one, if you if you haven't heard, I've talked about this website before, but if you just go to thispersondoesnotexist.com, mm. every time you load that page, you get a new randomly generated person. Yeah. And it's you can see how quickly this can be done. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. All right. Well, we will have links to all of those stories in our show notes. Uh, if you have something you'd like us to consider on the show, you can send it to us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Richard. He writes, hi, guys. I received the attached in the mail today. So this is actually a piece the of mail? mail. The mail, right. <laughs> okay. Wow. Obviously, it's some pretty out there claims being made by QAnon, but that's not what raised the red flags. Huh. It's the fact that QR codes are being mailed to people on such a large scale. Mm. I'm sure this is relatively common, but combining malicious QR codes with such politically charged language sounds like a decent strategy. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, he's been a listener since day one. He lo loves the show. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say this right now. If if you have strong political opinions one way or another, it doesn't matter which way. You've got to watch out for people trying to exploit that in right, you. Right. 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 Uh, Using your emotions to short circuit your exactly. the rational part of your brain. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna say things. They're gonna say things like, "Hey, buddy, pal, friend." Uh -huh. you know, this is how uh, extremists work in yeah. recruiting people. They 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 start with going after people based on commonality on the tribalism uh-huh right and how and how that can just descend into something anyway this is an interesting piece uh Dave you want to read the the true story of QAnon yes it says the true story of QAnon I was a child victim of the cabal spoken of in QAnon they invented the whole saga of QAnon and planned all news and entertainment events 20 years ago they planned 9-11, the 7-7 bombing, the Ukraine war, and COVID-19. And they told me that Luvox cures COVID-19. The minutiae of every battle and every action by Zelensky and Putin were planned. They put a mind-reading device in me and tortured me and spied on me my whole life. On Good Friday, this world will end, possibly by nukes, or my world will end. Please read the truth at the below QR code. I will be hiding in Kansas. Please share this and email me at blah, 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 blah. So I know people are getting my postcards. And there's a QR code. Yes. Oh, now, there's a lot in <laughs> yeah. there's a lot in one paragraph. So I, I want to point something out. Uh, one of the things this guy says is they planned everything 20 years ago, including 9-11, which was 21 years ago. <laughs> okay. 
right. and they've been using this postcard for a while. Yeah. So yeah, um, huh. the QR code is not malicious. I scanned it with my uh, trusty Q, uh, Trend Micro QR code scanner, uh-huh. uh, and unfortunately, when it says it's safe, it takes you right to the web page. So I, I went to the web page and gave this guy a hit. Oh, uh, it is exactly the kind of web page you'd expect. Yeah, it's just text on a screen. Oh, um, I see. Just uh, just a conspiracy theory screed manifesto. Yeah, manifesto. Uh, That's manifesto. a good word for it. Okay. Wow. Um, what what do you suppose the end game here is? I mean, is there you you had a chance to look at the website? Is there an ask? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't read the website. I just saw okay. what it was and yeah. read like the first two sentences. And was like, mm, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. Um, <laughs> right. Right. So. This I it's actually coming up in the news. There are a lot of people getting these postcards, okay. uh, and and you can find a news story about it. Uh, I don't know what the end. I don't know that there is an end game. I think this yeah. is just somebody who uh, who took the time and money to send use the postal services uh, direct to uh, postal customer service, right? To send a bunch of stuff out. That's re- really cheap. I mean, I used to do this during my time as a real estate agent. Uh, yeah. during my failed sales career. Uh, and it was remarkably cheap to reach a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, I guess they're trying to attract people to this line of thinking. Yes. Uh, uh, so or maybe that. find people who already think this way to bring them into the fold. Right. right? Bring them right. into the organization. Right. Or at if some point, they're going to. At some point, you can count on the fact they're going to ask for money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating that these are going out by uh, postal codes. I mean, that's even, even as cheap as it can be, that's so much more expensive than email. Right. But Richard's point is valid. There's nothing to stop somebody from using this exact same service mm-hmm. to put out malicious QR codes. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, why not? I mean, it's like you said, it is so much more expensive than email, but we've seen people spend more money per customer sending them USB sticks and things like that. Right. It's, it's interesting to see if he sent out, I don't know, you know, a thousand postcards that contained nothing but a QR code on it. Right. Nothing. <laughs> No text, no return address, just a QR code. How many hits would you get from the QR code? That would be an interesting. I bet you somebody's done that experiment. Yeah, it seems too too obvious to not have done. But right, yeah, I bet I bet a lot. <laughs> I, I, if nobody's done that, I might submit that as a research proposal. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Richard for sending that in to us. Uh, interesting for sure. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is hackinghumans at the We have a special interview this week. Uh, Our friend Perry Carpenter, who is host of the Eighth Layer Insights podcast. That is a show on the CyberWire network. So if you uh, are not familiar with that, do check it out. It is uh, absolutely worth your time. I will give give it my personal recommendation. Good show. Yeah. Uh, So Perry is talking with Brian Brushwood. He, He is the host of The World's Greatest Con. Here's Perry Carpenter and Brian Brushwood. Thanks, Dave. So I've got a real treat for you today. I recently had the chance to catch up with Brian Brushwood. He's a guy who spent his entire life studying why magic, illusion, and scams work, why they have this effect of being able to hijack our thoughts and push us into directions that we never thought that we'd go. 
You may have heard of Brian from shows like Scam Nation and Scam School and Hacking the System and and a lot of other things that he has out there. But the thing that really brought me to Brian for this interview was he recently started a podcast called World's Greatest Con. There are a lot of things that I like about this podcast, but the one thing that I want to zero in on right now is a key phrase that Brian uses over and over and over again. It's kind of a tagline. He says, Cons don't fool us because we're stupid. They fool us because we're human. And I love that phrase so much because it is really the epitome of what you guys say every episode in Hacking Humans. But before I steal any of Brian's thunder, let's go to the interview. I guess the first thing, given everything that you do and everything you're you're involved in, why a podcast? What made this the right time to do that? Uh, mainly because I finally have gotten old enough that I have interesting things to say. And there's that live element of spending 20 years touring colleges with a bizarre magic show, you know, eating fire and sticking nails in my eyes, doing mind reading and deception and stuff. That was all very, very valuable. But I saw where that road ends and it ends uh, by aging out of the market and not spending time with my kids. And so there was sort of this second epoch where we focused on video content with uh, Scam Nation, with the TV show Hacking the System on Nat Geo, with its successor, The Modern Rogue. And that allowed me to have more flexibility, the ability to edit and so on. But now we're in this phase where I, I love deconstructing these, these deep stories of our own flawed wetware, this unpatchable mess of neurons that we exist as. And uh, also fascinated with the parallel life I've led because I lived my life on the track of a white hat hacker of humans as a magician. And uh, meanwhile, there's all of these stories of deception where the powerful deceive the weak, the weak take on the man, the, the righteous, the unrighteous. And I honestly don't think 20 years ago I could be taken very seriously at the tender age of my late 20s explaining how the world of deception works. But as I creep up on 50, I realize that this is a medium that I'm only going to get more interesting of, over the next 10, 20 years. And so I'm deeply, deeply excited and engaged to keep on going. This line, cons don't fool us because we're stupid. They fool us because we're human. When you say that line, what does that mean to you? This is something that has gotten my goat in the world of magic for the longest time. It's this emphasis on fooling, whether or not you got me or this superior, like uh, I win, you lose dynamic. It's it's fairly idiotic in, in my opinion. For example, um, let's say we wanted to do a heist and the whole point was to fool you. So I spend a couple thousand dollars on prosthetics. Uh, I crash a couple of cars together. I take a, a severed torso, lay it on the ground. I hire a bunch of actors to scream and cry. And your car comes over the hill. And then you see this terrible disaster that has just happened. When you pull over and offer to render aid, you didn't get got. You didn't do anything yeah. dumb. You didn't get fooled. You behaved as a rational actor and a humanitarian in a moment of crisis. You did, in all ways, a legitimately good thing. So that heuristic of, I see cars that have crashed, I see blood, I see people screaming, activate subroutine, render aid. Uh, I, 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 I refuse to engage in a paradigm where that in any way is a bad way for a human to act. So as a result, when somebody were to use that to manipulate someone, 
uh, it's not that you're stupid. It's that you're human. And, and that's an important distinction. I'd love to hear about the backstory behind World's Greatest Con. What made you decide to kick this off? What was the inciting incident? And then really, how did you arrive at the subject matter for season one versus the subject matter that you're tackling in season two? World's Greatest Con only happened because my friend Justin called me up and said, hey, if you could have a well-produced, richly told story on anything you want, uh, what would it be? I'd be like, oh, I'd want to talk about uh, the world's greatest cons. And he said, mm. well, what is the world's greatest con? No hesitation. Straight from the gut, it's like, oh, it's got to be Operation Minspeed. He's like, great, what's that? And I explained the concept of allied forces, how the creator of James Bond had an idea that got filed away for years in a filing cabinet until it was discovered by Montague and Chumley and used to deceive Hitler by this incredible cadre of folks and layers upon layers of secrecy to basically get Hitler to protect the wrong coast. And it, by all accounts, seems to be a, an incredible success. Uh, we took that story and broke it into four chapters, each one focusing on a different aspect. Like, where do these ideas come from? The first one is about how you can't con an honest John. You need somebody to deceive themselves. All the effort into the first impression is the way we put it. That's the the tool of the con man is the asymmetry of time. They get to prepare a lot more than mm. the mark. Uh, second chapter, we talk about how do you build the story? How perfect is too perfect? Uh, enough to set off alarm bells. And then the third chapter, we talk about that visceral reality. Now you're at the point where, well, the story looked good on paper. Now I guess we have to take this dead body and put it into actual uniform and and make this happen and physically get it to the right place. And then there's that moment of surrender where the job of the con man is over. They've done everything they can do, and all they can do is hope that they've crafted it well enough for the mark to convince themselves. Now, if the con man has the advantage of an asymmetry of time, energy, and effort, the mark has the advantage of that gut feeling. Uh, Gavin De Becker, in his book, The Gift of Fear, talks about how, as humans, we don't have tough scales, we don't have thick hides, we don't have claws, we're not especially fast. What we have is one thing a supremely finely honed sense of intuition, the ability to walk into a gully and just feel like something's not right. Because at an unconscious level, we notice that this bush and that bush both seem to move at the same time. And when the mark trusts their gut, they walk away. But when the narrative is so strong, it overpowers that. That's when the con man wins. And so story one, season one, ends with, Hitler looking at this report on his desk saying, man, this is in every way what I want to hear. And he thinks, you know, presumably I, I wasn't there, but you'd have to imagine he thinks, well, I suppose they could have taken a dead body, filled it with a bunch of lies, dropped it off the coast of Spain, hoped that it would float over to Huelva, that it would just happen to land in the hands of a coroner who's a Nazi sympathizer who would take copies of this and get it to me, dot, dot, dot. <clears throat> But that would be stupid. So I'm going to just believe that this is all real. So uh, that's the part that blows me away when it comes to magic is anytime somebody asks me how so-and-so did a trick, I always ask, well, how would you do it if you had to do it in two hours on camera? Whatever they say next is almost always the exact right answer followed by the words, but that'd be stupid. And so, yes, the answer <laughs> is magicians do a lot of a lot of insane, stupid work for one moment 
that is hopefully ignored. So my immediate question at the end of season one is how you continue a show where you started in season one conning the ultimate villain. What was your process as you thought about getting into season two? I mean, what do you do when you want to follow up an act where the whole world pulls a con on Hitler? So I wanted to go the opposite direction. And I told him I would love to do a bunch of small tales that involve TV game shows. And that's a very counterintuitive move because we're going from the biggest, most epic thing to very, very small, petty things where, you know, we're talking about maybe tens of thousands of dollars of fraud. But to me, it was important because uh, the story is the same, whether it's on a street corner with a hustle or whether it's on the global stage with counterintelligence and uh, uh, deception. It's the same story, and and I kind of wanted to prove it, and I think we've done it because we uh, this anthology of five different tales of deception from within the world of game shows, if people enjoy it as much as they do season one, which so far the feedback has been phenomenal, then that really frees us up to go anywhere and tell any story of the human condition. You'll notice that uh, about 50% of the content is the story itself. 50, uh, 25% is contextualized through my 30 plus years of doing this for a while. Uh, and uh, and uh, 25% of it is this learning segment, this these teachable moments about fundamental flaws that get taken advantage of. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Brian Brushwood. Brian brings a ton of passion and perspective to this topic that we're all interested in. Why we fall for the scams and the schemes that we think that we'll never fall for. And the answer is, Cons don't fool us because we're stupid. They fool us because we're human. For the CyberWire, I'm Perry Carpenter. Back to you, Dave. All right, Joe, what do you think? I was recently talking to Perry, and he was telling me about this interview on his show, and I checked out the episode, and then I went out and I just tore through the world's greatest con. Mm. Great podcast. Mm -hmm. So not only should you check out Perry's, but you should also check out World's Greatest Con as well. Yeah. Uh, I agree with my with the assessment. My favorite line in this show that he that Brian says every single episode is cons don't fool us because we're stupid. They fool us because we're human. Mm. Right. And then Brian's example in this in this talk is the example of the car crash. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is one of the three big triggers that social engineers use that I like to focus on when I'm telling people about what, what their exposure is. And yeah. I, I say the number one is fear. Number two is greed. Number three is our desire to help each other. Hmm. Right. We have this innate desire to help other humans mm -hmm. and even other, other animals as well. Yeah. Like dogs and any, any animals we've domesticated. Right. Um, and some we haven't, uh, but it, I digress. The, the, the point is that if you came across a situation where somebody had gone through a great length to make it look like they were in trouble, would you be a horrible person if you didn't stop and help them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we all think that. Is this person in trouble? Does this person need my assistance? Right. Can I render it? Yeah. Um, one of Brian's big points is that the bad guys have the advantage of time and preparation. Mm. They also have the advantage of practice, mm -hmm. right? If mm -hmm. they're going to con you— you're not the first person they're getting that they've talked to, right? Yeah. 
you know, it's like when I was teaching my kids to play chess, prepare to lose the first hundred games you play. Right? <laughs> right. Same thing with a con man. Prepare to have the first hundred people you talk to go, you're nuts and walk off, right? First hundred uh, people you ask out on a date. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's all about getting that one yes. Right? How many no's do you have to, get, do, you have to do to get to the yes? It's yeah. a sales prep question. Right? Uh, the target has the advantage of that gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite thing he says is, but that would be stupid is the payoff the con is looking for, Mm, right? mm -hmm. So don't dismiss your gut feeling if your very next thought is, yeah, but that would be stupid, Hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Instead, use that as another indicator that something's up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you can recognize that pattern, like, hey, I think something might be up. He might've gone through all these things, but that would be a bit much. Think about it. What, how much time has this guy had before he walked into you? Right. 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 It, it, he's had as much time as he is alive, as far as you as far as you know. Yeah. Brian mentions the fundamental flaws that we have as as people that are are preyed upon. I I think of them as those those three things I talked about earlier: fear, greed, and 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 uh, our innate desire to help. I don't think I you know I, I while these things can all be exploited as flaws, they're not necessarily flaws, right? Mm-hmm. Our fear keeps us alive, mm-hmm. right? Keeps us out of dangerous situations. Think about, you know, being on a, a, one of my examples is the time I saw a bear on a bike ride, you know? <laughs> That's weird. I've a b- bike riding bear. Wow. <laughs> I was on the, okay. I wasn't clear. I was on the bike ride. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> the bear okay. was just standing there. <laughs> ah, all right. Wow. Okay. Well, it's not quite as exciting, but right. still. <laughs> <sighs> so, that's awesome, Dave. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what What did I do? I didn't go near the bear, right? I, no. I turned around and left. Right. Right? <laughs> yes. Our greed is what keeps us alive. You know, everybody likes to bemoan the fact that, uh, you know, everybody's so greedy or, that, you know, there are certain people are so greedy. But, no, everybody is greedy. Everybody has a, a certain desire to accumulate food, shelter, clothing, and anything else, right? Yeah. Because – that's how you survive in 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 the uh, in the old days, right? Yeah, is just by having those things. Sure. And then uh, our our desire to help each other is how we, as a species, have become the most successful species on the planet, mm. right? It's and actually these three things, I think, together, while while there's something that can be exploited, they're also things that have made us put us where we are. Yeah. Right. I would add to your list love and sex. Yeah. Yeah, love and I, I might follow that under greed. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's desire, desire. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Do you put greed, greed, and, and greed and sex under desire? Yeah, hunger. Maybe I don't know. That's a good point, though. <laughs> okay, it, I you know I don't really I don't really talk about that. But I didn't really talk about that much in the um, in the. But I, you know, love actually I might put under our desire to help each other. Yeah. And sex I might put under under greed. Yeah. I'm just thinking of things that can short circuit your sensibilities in a right. hurry. And yeah. I think love and sex are certainly in that category. Absolutely. No, you're you're hundred percent correct. Romance scams are one of the biggest scams that cause people to lose money yeah. left and right. It's one of the big things that gets exploited yep. as well. Yep. All right. Well, again, our thanks to uh, Perry Carpenter for uh, joining us and sharing this interview. Again, his podcast is the Eighth Layer Insights Podcast. Uh, definitely check that out. And also our thanks to Brian Brushwood for joining us as well. Yep. Yep. 
That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.